to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, how you doing? It's me, I'm back with another awesome episode of Run This World. A couple quick housekeeping things. Today's episode, we had like a thousand technical glitches. So even though I've been doing this for like three years, that stuff happens sometimes. Um... There were a whole bunch of recordings we strung together. Timothy Kenneth DeBoom, our uh, incredible <laughs> podcast editor, um, did a good job stringing them together. But there's a spot or two where we're like, hey, did I lose you? I don't know. Are you still there? Crap. That kind of thing. So bear with us. And I said, you know what? It makes the episode a little more authentic. So you're going to get some of that today. Make it more fun. We'll feel like you're here with us. And then I have these two incredible, amazing guests, Susan and Chris Marie. And so think about these names Susan, Chris Marie. I kept calling Chris Marie Chrisan, like Susan. Anyway, um, we were laughing about it during the episode. She corrected me a couple times. I really, truly did know that that was not her name. Um, but I just wanted to let you guys know, like, this is life. This stuff happens. Like, I wasn't, unfortunately, sitting right across from these two incredible women, um, which I wish I was. And you will, too, after listening to today's episode, because it's all about conflict. What a horrible word, right? Conflict. Like, who really wants to sit around and roll around and embrace and hug conflict? Pretty much nobody that I know wants to deal with conflict. Um, these two women are life partners. Uh, they met when they were pretty young, came together, and started a life together. And along the way, they became business partners. And their most recent project is a book called The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. <laughs> and wow, we all need it. Every single one of us, I don't care if you're in a relationship or not right now, there's so much good, uh, good wisdom, new tools for the tool shed <laughs> that we can all use. And, um, and I think it just will help give us confidence, you know, hearing their stories, learning about how they became experts, like what makes someone an expert to speak about a topic like conflict? I mean, if you become an expert in that, you've had to deal with it yourself and you've figured out ways that you can come through the conflict um, better, stronger, more confident, and happier. And you know, there's this is actually kind of interesting timing for me because I am currently living in conflict. So you guys don't really know about this yet. And pretty soon, I'm just make this super mysterious for you. Pretty soon, um, I'll be able to talk about it more. But there's some serious conflict going on in my life. And it is not in my family life. It's more in my professional life. And it's, it's unresolved, but pretty soon it'll start to become resolved and paths will become more clear. But living in conflict is difficult. And so when you find yourselves at a point in your life when you are sort of being a little bit torn apart, when you can't sleep, when thoughts keep spiraling around your head and you're, and it's hard to turn them the direction you want them to go, which is a positive direction. Um, you know that you have some work to do. I'll give you a, a little hint. Um, 
you know, my business is called Skirt Sports. They sponsor, they, we, me, all of us, we're all in bed together, um, sponsor this podcast. I mean, definitely support it in all kinds of ways. Um, and it's my little baby and I've been its mother for 15 years and it's changing and that's okay because by the time you're 15, you should change, right? And it's changed a few times throughout, but we're getting ready to change directions a little bit and very, very soon we'll be launching a new really cool initiative that I encourage you to check out and get behind. So when you do have a chance, just make sure you plug into all of our social media channels. Well, actually, we really only run Instagram and Facebook. We have a Twitter account and a Pinterest account, but we don't really use them. So check out Pinterest, Facebook, or sorry, in, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, get on our email list. And if you don't like email, get on our text marketing list because uh, you'll see all the information that way. Otherwise, like, how would you know about it? You can't. You actually have to follow us to know about it. So Skirt Sports, skirtsports.com and at Skirt Sports on every channel. All right. So, so here we go. We're about to hear about conflict. We're about to meet two amazing women with very different backgrounds who have gotten to a place where they are going to be imparting some tools for all of you to be able to use. I know you can't wait. It is an amazing conversation. I'm drawing it out. Okay, everybody, let's bring them on. All right, I'm here. We made it with Chris Marie and Susan of the beauty of conflict. Oh my gosh. Can you believe we finally got this hooked up? <laughs> We're glad to be here. For sure. There's, it's just a little conflict to get us going. That's all. <laughs> and it was a technical conflict. No. Oh, I know. Well, what's really cool is I woke up this morning and my body was kind of hurting and I was like, I got to go do my little fit deck routine. And so I was like, okay, let's just continue to do a little last minute cramming for this awesome interview. So I was just listening to one, an episode on your podcast, oh. the one called Get Unstuck and Live Healthy. And I wow. love it. You got, First of all, um, we're, we're here today to talk about all kinds of cool things regarding like, relationships and um and what really, what's cool is uh, you two are in a relationship, talking about relationships. Yeah. <laughs> working with relationships. We're all working on our relationships. And, and it really starts with our relationships with ourselves, doesn't it? It yes. does. Yeah, that, that's yeah. that podcast episode you listen to for sure is about I that. Know. I know. It's so cool. Well, you know, it's gonna, it could be a little bit confusing today because I have two amazing guests who don't have distinctly different voices. Like they're, you're both women, in fact, all three of us. So people could potentially get a little confused. So I was kind of thinking that the best way to start would be for you to each give a little background um, on yourself so people can place the voice to the name and maybe they'll learn a little more about what brought you here. So maybe you can each do a little run through of, of your short bios, knowing that maybe we'll pause and dig into a few topics as we start rolling, because that's how we go. And um, I was thinking alphabetically, we may as well start with Chris Marie. <laughs> okay. So this is Chris Marie, as you uh, identify my voice here. And my background, well, one, even in the context of conflict is... Um, you know, I grew up with an army colonel dad where conflict in the household was terrifying. And so I learned quite quickly to become a pleaser and an achiever. And that led me to, uh, I, was in, I wasn't an athlete in high school, but I showed up at college and decided to try out for the rowing team because they didn't, they didn't cut anybody at that point. And I'm not built as a rower. I'm five foot six, so I'm pretty small. And they wanted me to be the coxswain, but I decided, no, I want to row. So it was a process of elimination, how hard I could work and, and the rhythm. And I became, um, this was at the University of Washington. So I got on the rowing team and we were really good. We won national championships and I went on to be on the 87 and the 88 uh, national team, which in the 88 was the Olympic team in Seoul, Korea. And uh, went back and got my, uh, when after that, started working as at Boeing as an engineer, flight test engineer, then went back and got my MBA and started working at Arthur Anderson. And all what I found is as I was progressing, 
I was a pleaser and achiever, but I was also, I had a lot of body issues. I had a back injury that wouldn't go away. I had chronic fatigue. I had allergies. I had, you name it. And I recognized that I was not actually showing up as me in relationship. I was so focused on pleasing other people. And when I kind of recognized that, I had a bit of a breakdown and a recalibration and processing some things that had gone on in my life early on. And I also met Susan, who you'll be introduced to, who really believes in showing up real and authentic and finding your voice. And I did a lot of work to make that happen. And we created our relationship and started working together with teams about 20 years ago, if you can believe that. And then about 10 years ago, we also, uh, she's a marriage and family therapist, but we started working with couples about a decade ago. Well, that's probably enough about me. Now I do hip hop and acting and, you know, all sorts of fun stuff. Oh gosh, hip hop and acting. Okay. If there's time, <laughs> it was live. We need a live demo. Okay. Let me ask you, um, how, how did you do in the Olympics? We came in sixth, which was um, very traumatizing because the year before we had gotten the silver medal. So we were walking in thinking we were going to be in a medal contender. And when we didn't win, I took that really hard. And that was part of, well, okay, Susan's trying to- I have to tell you, Nicole, I was worried for you there because in the past, when someone has asked her that question- that. She, she, the first time I ever met her, I was like, tell me about the Olympics. And she just about bit my head off because she considered herself a loser. I was like, you, you gotta, you gotta ship that story pretty darn quick. Cause you know, that just makes me and anyone like me like triple loser. <laughs> like, you know, so I totally hear you, but it's all relative. And I get that. It's like a world I live in big time in, in sports and athletics every day, not just with my own background. So I totally get it. Yeah. And then I totally understand on the flip side, like you, a uh, super successful athlete might maybe get out of shape or something. And then you'd walk around. And if anybody asked you how you're doing, you'd be like, oh, I'm really out of shape. And they look at you and they're like, I hate you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are you like, so it's all relative. I get it. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, that's part of this whole process though, right? Like dealing with those semi-failures that aren't really failures, but they feel like failures. Yeah. It's really about re kind of reframing that story and taking the, the glory from it. Like, oh my gosh, I was one of the top 48 rowers in the world and smallest and lightest in my event. And so, yeah, I had to reframe a lot of that, but it took me a decade to really reclaim that. And then much later, I finally got the Olympic rings tattooed on my back because I was like, wait a minute, I am an Olympian. I'm going to own this. You know, it took me a long time, but I actually did own that. I have finally owned that I'm an Olympian. I love it. Well, and you said like, you know, you weren't showing up as you and you met Susan during this time. But I also think when you're young, like you're in the discovery phase of life, like you might, you don't like we are who we are, but we don't really know who we are sometimes. So it's hard to show up as who you are when you don't know who you are. You know, <laughs> true. Oh. But some people seem to have a better, like, I think I really got trained to who I am really doesn't matter as long as I can please and achieve. That's really my value, not as a human being. So, and I do think some people come to that faster. Like I was in my thirties when I finally kind of recognized, wait a minute, I have value just by being me. So. Oh yeah, that's huge. Well, so Susan, let's shift over to you. This is going to be interesting too, to, yeah. So tell us your story. I already have a pretty cool connector question. (laughs) Let's bring it. (laughs) Well, I mean, well, one thing is, you know, probably where my biggest piece around conflict came to light was in my early twenties, because I, uh, I, at that point was diagnosed with a very, with an advanced cancer process. And after kind of thinking the medical model was going to be the answer for me and going full bore into treatments and things like that, found out that the treatments weren't working. And I got the news from my doctor that, uh, you know, I probably had six months to live. And that was what I refer to. And I, I don't know if it's okay to say this on your show, but you can bleep it out if you need to. My oh shit moment where I was like, oh, what? You know, I think I had always counted on somebody having the answer. And all I really needed to do was be able to follow and join. And in that moment, I realized that wasn't going to happen. And so I 
started exploring all sorts of things, you know, traditional medicine, but also alternative medicine, psychology, spirituality, everything, any, anyone that could help me. And the interesting thing was nobody particularly got along with the other groups. Medicine <laughs> didn't like alternative medicine. Um, you know, my, the people who I worked with in nutrition didn't like my doctors. It was like, so I had to spend a lot of time dealing with their differences with, you know, and telling them you're on project Susan, you gotta, you know, this isn't about you being right. This is about us, me gathering all the information and deciding what I'm going to do. And so I really, and I think in that, you know, I also uncovered tons of stuff about my own life that I had never addressed and broke up a whole lot of things in my family, created a tremendous amount of conflict on the outside. As And and I think in some respects, it was, that was what was living in my body. So learning how to pull through that and carry on for myself and have the right conversations, whether it be with my medical team or my family and community, was what turned around my health. And wow. it took a, basically seven years and four cancers to finally convince me that, uh, you know, it, you got to stand in the face of conflict and speak your own truth and, and hang out if you want to live, you know, live fully. <laughs> Can you um, share a little more about your cancer journey? What kind of cancer was it? How did you figure out you had cancer? And and on the you know flip side of that, when you realized that people weren't giving you answers that were going to help you, like you took it into your own hands. Like maybe you can talk through a little bit of that part of the journey. Well, I mean, the first thing that I'll say is, you know, I was when I got developed the cancer, I was in my early twenties. I was just launching into my life career. Um, I was an avid runner, and there's a reason why running is not the best thing for me because. I can run away from any problem really well. And I actually believe the amount of running I was doing made it almost impossible when I initially presented medically for them to figure out what was going on with me. I had kind of classic, I was losing weight. I was uh, not dealing with a lot of different things. And, but they thought I had an eating disorder and thought, you know, they didn't know what was going on. And I probably wasn't helping because I really didn't have any answers for them. They were asking me questions that I couldn't, um, uh, you know, even answer about my past or history. And so I really had to turn around and kind of look at that. And that unearthed all sorts of issues. Um, uh, and, you know, that was probably the biggest challenge. I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when they finally uh, were able to diagnose, diagnose it, but it was already at a stage four. So it was a pretty advanced process. And, um, you know, at that was, I think why, you know, when the treatment wasn't, which was already a, you know, a new treatment when it wasn't working, they were like, you only have six months to live. So I, uh, and then I did turn that around fairly in my doctor's terms, um, miraculously. And I think really, because I dug, I, I went to, to develop, a, I, I went somewhere where I developed just getting in my body, breathing, and there's more to this than just the story that I have in my head. And that was huge to start looking at cancer from a different perspective. It's not an enemy. It's something in my body that's my own cells. I need to learn how to communicate with them. I need to breathe into my body and feel. That was all new to me. And um, I actually think it turn my health around. Although my doctors just thought they, you know, even when my health turned around, were a little bit doubtful of the whole process. Like we, you know, we're not interested in what you did, which was shocking, <laughs> but I guess that, you know, at that time, you know, people have their worlds they live in. And so when I had to keep going with cancer, I really had to learn how to talk to my doctors in a way that I know you don't believe in this, but I actually believe these other things I'm doing are actually vitally important to my health. So you need to play well with others. That's <laughs> kind of my approach. Like you need to talk to these other people that are involved in my treatment. And, you know, I will be the one who makes the call. And wow. so it was, you know, I was young and I probably was a little more, you know, I guess, bold in terms of I had nothing to lose. So I did speak up and say what I had to say. And believed it was what turned my health around. So I got invested in um, continuing to do that. <laughs> you know? So it was like, you know, that's, let's change the conversation was sort of um, what I walked away thinking. Ooh, I like that. Were yeah. you two a couple at that point? 
No, no. we didn't. When you were first diagnosed with cancer? No, I was I was uh, on my own, single, teaching um, in the south in the southern states. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> you know? um, yes. Okay. So so can you know? Can you talk a little bit about what the family conflict was? Are you willing to share some of that? Um, sure. I mean, what what was interesting for for my experience with my health was that. As you know, there were a lot of things that were showing up for my medical team. Like I had a lot of scar tissue, various things. They'd be like, well, what happened to you? And I didn't have any real clear answers. And so I had to start working to, I had to finally go back and ask some questions. Um, and the answers I got didn't make any sense. So I kept looking. And then I had, I realized I'd grown up in a, in a situation with a, in a camp where there was a prominent community leader who did some really horrible things. And I was um, one of many who probably took a, a, a lot of physical, violent, sexual. sexual stuff related to this particular community member. And when I started to get all the clarity on that and also got confirmed with that through different medical things that were showing up, I, I brought it out. And everyone in my community was furious and nobody wanted to deal with that because this was still an active community member. So it was really, um, it crushed my family. It kind of divided. I had, I actually, I moved 3000 miles away to finally begin to find a way to put my life back together. And, um, because I just thought I, I don't, I, this is too threatening right here. And, I know that what I'm doing is what I need to do. So um, it wasn't until actually in the last probably 10 years that I've actually had some people come mm -hmm. back to me and tell me, you know, we, the same story. So I know there is truth in what I had to say. And at the time, nobody could deal with it. So, so I moved 3000 miles away so that I could try to get my life back because I knew dealing with all of these things that I remembered and facing them and coming to terms with them was actually a big part of my health turning around. And so, and I also didn't want to just keep putting everyone I knew and myself at risk because of speaking up, even though I never hesitated to keep speaking up, I knew that um, I needed to go somewhere where I could kind of reformulate my life and get it back on track. So that's what I did. <laughs> wow. So, so I'm assuming when you're young and or whatever age, when this horrible trauma is happening to you, that you had some kind of mechanisms that were allowing you to protect yourself and not remember that they were, had happened. Oh yeah. I think, you know, I think that, uh, you know, as a young child, I just buried them. I mean, literally, um, and, uh, you know, when I look back, I could actually put the some pieces together, even based on the medical history that I was presented with, because there'd be things in there that would be like, this makes no sense. This, this medical record says this, but there's no way those two things are equivalent, you know. And um, so I knew that, OK, I'm on to something, you know, I'm not just crazy because you could when stuff starts to happen like that, you can think you're crazy. But then I also started to get threats. And so I realized, okay, I'm making somebody mad having this conversation. So there, I could either keep going or, I mean, at one point I had someone tell me, you missed, you just, you'd be better off dead. And I, that's actually when I moved. Cause I thought, wow, that's a strong statement. And um, so I need to get out of here so I can regroup and figure out how to live my life. So. Wow. Okay. So I, the reason I'm digging in a little more to this is that I know that there are people listening who have childhood trauma and have not surfaced it yet. And, you know, your message, you two together have done a lot of work with conflict. And, you know, I've, we've heard a little bit from both of you on the different, you know, on, on your development cycle and like uh, conflicts that you've had to work through in your lives to be able to become like experts on this subject to help other people. So it's really interesting to me too, Susan, with your story that, you know, a part of maybe getting rid of this body conflict of cancer and this illness was to actually confront deeper conflicts. And it just makes me realize how these conflicts live in layers 
within our psyche and that they can have a physical manifestation. Oh yeah, for sure. Yes. And you know, I, I, it's interesting because like I said, I left and, and for 10 years didn't have any contact with most of my, with my family. And then eventually we re we got together, but this time from a place of let's, we're not going to get into what happened or didn't happen. We're just going to each share our story. And if conflict comes up, we'll deal with it. And it was so much different. And as a result, I have a relationship with my family now. And we just, you know, there are things we agree about, there are things we disagree about, but we're, we're all adults now. So we don't, you know, I don't have to be a, concerned about whether they believe me or not, but being able to actually talk about things was huge. And, um, and actually understand that they, whatever they were doing, they didn't, you know, they had their own reasons for doing what they did. And, um, so, uh, and it was multi-layers and I could still see that in, in today, you know, I, when I work with people, it's like, it, you can be in a marriage and you can think the marriage is okay, but there might be a lot of things going on health-wise that are indicators that you need to do something different. And um, it doesn't mean the marriage has to end. It just means you have to look. There's a context for what's going on health-wise inside of you that might be relevant to either workplace stuff or marriage, you know, relationship pieces. Might be important to speak up and say what you really want, because a lot of times we bury that in relationship to make the relationship okay. Yeah. But it doesn't serve us as individuals. Yeah. Oh, that is such a good point. Well, since this episode is all about relationships and conflict and all the good stuff, um, let's talk about how you two met. Let's talk about the formation of your relationship. (laughs) Well, it was funny because I was, um, I just saw this friend last weekend. We were in Seattle. I went to um, yet another doctor. So I came out of the Olympics with my back injury for 10 years. I kept trying to find somebody. Can you fix me? Can you fix me? And it was like that, looking for the magic bullet. And I went in to talk to this woman and she was a naturopathic doctor, I think. And she said, you know what? You need to meet Susan Clark. And we, all we did was talk for, um, for the hour appointment that we had. And, uh, she says, I'm actually going up, up to Canada because Susan was living up in Canada on Sunday. Do you want to come with me? And I said, yes. (laughs) So I hopped in a car and I met her and I, just to see, um, her journey through her physical stuff. And I had tried everything and more and more stuff was happening with the back injury, the chronic fatigue, the allergies. And I was like, what is, you know, I wanted a way out of my agony. And so um, I saw Susan work and actually she dealt with this group of people and there was this bully in the group and she stood up to the bully. And I was like, my eyes are like saucers. If you could see my fingers, they, you know, they're opening my eyes sort of thing because my dad was pretty much a bully and I never stood up to him because it wasn't safe to, that was dangerous. And I thought, I want to learn to do what she's doing right now because I feel so trapped in my ability to speak up. And so I, we actually started, uh, we started working together first. I brought her into corporate events for, as a, as an expert on conflict. Well, what's, this is Susan. I'll just say, you know, at that point you were really pretty, you know, fast senior partner in it. Well, you were in consulting. Uh, yeah. I was a manager at a top five consulting and, firm. you know, always dealing with conflict. So it was a surprise to me to learn that she didn't realized how uncomfortable she was in it. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's because that side of you that always managed things, um, was used to doing that, but she really, you know, your thing was to learn how to wait a minute. There's a time and a place to not just keep the peace, but to step in and say no. Well, I mean, growing up with my dad, my sister liked to antagonize my dad around the dinner table table. And so I would step in and ask a question or say, dad, I think this is what she means or anything to switch the topic. So I would diffuse the energy at the table. So I became, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hours to, to develop a mastery of something. And that's what I developed, how to diffuse conflict. The only problem was I wasn't at all showing up at work. You know, I could smooth things out, but I wouldn't disagree if the boss had a different strategy. I'd go along with it. I did go along with one project and I got blamed for it. And I was like, I've got to figure this out. I've got to figure out how to speak up to to power because this is career limiting. And I didn't recognize how health limiting it was as well, because I was keeping so much of myself kind of buried or not bringing forward 
my opinions, my thoughts, what I wanted. And so I, I kept trying to be who other people wanted me to be as opposed to finding out what I wanted. And part of that is speaking up and having a different opinion. So you, you guys met and Chris, Chris Marie. was like, wow, that's, sorry, <laughs> duh, Chris Marie. You were like, cause it's like, I'm combining your names. You're like, like one person. Um, but, uh, so you were like, oh my gosh, this Susan, she's like a superhero. She can stand up to the bullies. I didn't really know what that looked like or felt like. And was there just this immediate then attraction? Yes, for sure. Because on both sides. <laughs> yes, but for different reasons, but yes. I think I had her at Olympian. <laughs> yes, that was really all it took for me. Well, and it's kind of ironic because, you know, I didn't, you'll, in our book, we talk about this, like there, there are definitely situations where I am very clear. I will stand up and be strong. And as we became friends and became interested in being more than friends, you know, I would periodically do something. Oh, well, let me just say, so you have a, and this happens for anybody, you have a romance about who the person is, you know, you see a few things and you paint this whole picture. We talk about this in the book, like it's your movie and they're playing a part in your movie. And, and Susan was definitely the part I had her in was she was going to take care of me. She was going to be strong, deal with bullies, be calm, cool. And when we were going across the borders and we'd go up to a border lineup, she'd be like, oh my God, what line should I get in? Oh my God, over here. And she acted really like, oh my gosh, you're not playing, you're not playing the part the way I want you to. And what happens when your partner doesn't participate, we have all these strategies to move them back in line. Like I could criticize her. I could hint. I could, you know, tell her how she should be doing what, what I want her to be doing. So those are all the ways we, which creates conflict in the relationship. (laughs) And what, what we encourage and, you know, most, you know, when you're in that romance phase, you don't do this, but cause I had the same thing going. I saw it as Olympian. She was going to love biking and camping. And that was just not what happened. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, (laughs) I, we went on a tandem bike ride in Seattle and I thought it went great. But of course, what I didn't know till many years later was that she wasn't even pedaling in the back oh, that of that bike. True. <laughs> <laughs> and she hated it. <laughs> I know? did hate the bike ride. I felt like I had to work really hard and I and didn't like it. <laughs> I think you told me you weren't even pedaling. But, so, <laughs> but then, you know, romances die hard because I still have like four bikes that I think she should be riding oh, at she times. Has, she's gotten and, me a road bike. She's yeah, got me a mountain bike. Now <laughs> I've given them to friends so that I can have people who will ride the bike with me. But I, you know, it's one of those things I keep thinking, oh, eventually <laughs> I'm going to convince her that this is a good idea. So we all, ca- we carry those romances. And unless we talk about them, like we've talked about them enough now, we I can kind of laugh when I see myself doing it again. But so many times those things go unspoken. We just assume our partner's going to, whatever, going to make the money or have the kids or we're going to we're gonna take adventures together or mm-hmm. like we have ideas, but we don't explicitly say, you know, this is the story I'm making up about <laughs> us. Do. Does it, do you fit? Are you interested? And, and our romances are huge um, catapults to get us together. So it's, they're important and we have different seasons of romances, you know, through a relationship. So, well, let's talk about that a little bit because the word romance makes me feel good. It makes (laughs) me get all dreamy. It makes me like have the little butterflies in my stomach. Um, And on the flip side, the word conflict does not make me feel good (laughs) at all. But um, so maybe talk a little bit about how those two things play together. Like what's more important in a relationship, romance or conflict? Well, let's just say right up front, I don't think it's like one is better or worse, but romance really is sort of my own projection of my imagination. And it's pretty one-sided on both per on both cup on you know each of us play into those romances but um but as soon as you start to talk about it i mean if you know even if you think you're on the you know even if we said hey we want to live in montana and write books together let's say we had a romance that somehow looks like the way we are now we would have still come up against she'd have certain ways she'd want to do it I'd have certain ways i think it should go and we would start clashing we'd get into a power struggle and that power struggle is juice 
but most of the time it's uncomfortable. So we don't actually use the juice. So the, the, the juice in a relationship is having a dream and then getting into those tight, sticky places, but holding the tension of them and not just staying in the romance or or opting out and, and deciding, oh, no, we could never be together. I mean, I think I, when I got together with Susan, um, I used to believe that my job was to make everything smooth. That was the that was a healthy relationship. So when we had disagreements, I thought, oh, my gosh, we're over. This is horrible. And she's like, no, this is actually really good because we're showing up. You cannot have two people and not have differences. And sure, the the romance may be the the time where everybody's excited and we think everything's going to be um, all one way, but we're still not we're not really explicit about what we're wanting and how it's how it's going to be and how this other person is going to show up. And so that's what the the rubbing. I'm rubbing my hands together. The rubbing occurs. The differences. <laughs> well, yeah, for sure. And and you know, it makes me think of control too because we have this idea of how our partner is going to show up. And when they don't, we want to try to control that and get it back to where we want it to be. Right. Which isn't always who they are or what they want. Yeah. What's the key to, um, to overcoming these moments? Well, the first thing is that, you know, not to just, uh, you're not going to get over it altogether. We're, we are as human beings tend to always be about control. We are trying to control our world because we don't like feeling helpless and we don't like feeling the uncertainty. And so we're, you know, to imagine that we're just going to get rid of that and become these evolved beings that, you <laughs> that's crazy. So the first thing is to really recognize how do I deal with stress? How do I begin to opt out in relating? What are the things I do that get in the way of me actually leaning in and becoming more curious and interested in my partner? So if I can own that- Or that's own a, how I control. Or own how I control to begin to look at that, then I have some choices. But not to necessarily get rid of it, but to own it and say, wow, I realized I was up to that again. I bought you another bike. I don't know why I keep buying you bikes, but <laughs> this is obviously I still want you to go bike riding with me. And, you know, if I can own that, that's a big versus just pretending it's not happening. Yeah. Well, can we, can I ask though, because most of us don't, aren't looking inside ourselves when when these feelings arise we're pointing fingers and blaming and going god if he could only change or if she could only do this differently then everything would be fine so how do we start to shift that introspection you know to ourselves become more introspective and like look at ourselves instead of automatically pointing to somebody else well i mean one Sadly, too often what happens is a crisis, and that's what gets people to look, either a health crisis, a marital crisis, an affair, a a loss of a job, something big. Um, And that will definitely create um, a choice point. I mean, we actually hope, and that's part of why we were so passionate about getting this book out there, that there'd be a way that, you know, people might choose to do that before the crisis and just recognize that you know, blame really isn't, rather blaming yourself or blaming somebody else, that is not the solution to um, dealing with differences. And it's so, we are so stuck in a model that is not working in terms of the right, wrong aspect of it. And, you know, until we can drop that, we're going to continue on a path that isn't very productive. I mean, even looking, seeing blame, which I still blame Susan plenty, (laughs) but when I can recognize, okay, I am blaming her. What is happening inside of me that's not working? uh, That is actually can be a huge transformation because then I have the power when I'm blaming her, she needs to change for me to be okay. And when I can actually recognize, okay, I'm blaming her, that means there's something that I'm not doing to take care of myself. So it's a it would be a trigger to go inwards and look at where am I giving my power away? Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like we should do some kind of live demo. <laughs> like one of you should be our mediator and then I should get into some kind of conflict with one of you. Do you want to do it? <laughs> okay. Do you have something, something real? Really like, yeah. Happen. Let's do, um, okay. It's kind of real, kind of, kind of um, a little bit embellished. So who's my partner? 
Chris Ann or Chris, Chris, Marie. <laughs> Chris Marie or Susan. See, you're like uh, you're like um, J Lo or you know whatever they are, <laughs> right? Those two, Chris and So maybe that's it. <laughs> yes. So, so who's my who's my partner then? You want to get into conflict with me, and then yes. things can moderate. Okay. 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 Let's okay. try it. So here's our situation is um, we have this big tree in the backyard and there was a branch that was going to fall. And so we had discussed and I had told you that you needed to get that fixed because that's part of what you do for the household and I do something else, right? Mm -hmm. And then you procrastinated and totally didn't do it. And then there was this big storm and the branch fell and it toppled part of our fence, and fortunately, it didn't kill anyone. So now we have this broken fence and I, I'm pissed because you procrastinated and now I have to deal with the fence because that's part of what I do. So how do we handle this? Well, I mean, you, you would probably be telling me that you're mad at me, right? Like well, just, just just treat me so like the, you would so treat. So the tree has just the branch has just fallen. You are now dealing with the fence and go from right. There. And okay, so part. why didn't you why didn't you get this thing fixed before it fell? And now I'm the one who has to spend hours getting estimates to fix our fence. Hey, I have plenty of stuff to do, and you wanted me to look at that tree branch, but I, you know, was busy with work, and there were three different people. I couldn't get all the bids in time, and before the windstorm, you know, I did not create the windstorm. Well, I didn't know it was going to fall, but it fell and um, you could have done it sooner. You should have made it a priority. I get you would want me to make it a priority, but okay. I just didn't. So I'll just interrupt. Is this how it goes when you guys have this discussion? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of an interesting. So what I'm hearing is that, Nicole, you are pissed because you actually asked for something to be done and it didn't get done. And now you're upset because you're having to work. You're having to do more work. Is that? Yeah, that's accurate. Okay. And uh, Chris Marie, I, I think you're, you're saying I was too busy to be doing anything and I'm, and I was trying to get the bids and I couldn't do it. And is that the gist? Yeah. I just felt pressure. You know, I was trying to do work and get these bids and I just didn't have enough time. Okay. And so it might be helpful if, I mean, we could try to figure out who is truly at fault about this fence, you know, or about the tree falling, which might be tricky to get to. Or you could just see, you know, can you have some, are you curious at all about what it's been, what's going on for her? For Nicole. Chris Marie, yeah. Well, yeah, you could, you know, I am. I, I get that you feel now or you think that you have to take care of the fence and you wouldn't have had to do that if I'd done my job. Is that true? Yeah. And you know what? I'm just super busy and under the gun right now and I'm feeling the pressure. And so this is just adding to my workload and I didn't plan to add this into my workload. Mm -hmm. And if, and, and can you also, so I'm, I'm curious, Chris Marie, if there's anything else going on for you, like, do you, do you actually believe it had nothing to do with you and, it, or is there anything else that's happening? Well, actually, I'm feeling a bit defensive because I kept trying to get to it and I meant to get to it. And I feel like a putz that I didn't get to it before it blew down. But I don't really want to admit that to you. Oh. I've just realized something. Can I break our mediation? Yes, sure, sure. <laughs> um, this is really cool because you just said I'm feeling defensive. And like, I feel, I feel like we all often get defensive, but we don't we don't come forward with that. We try to bury it and cover it with more words. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I and would, the minute we can uh, admit like I am feeling defensive, it makes us a little bit more vulnerable. And then the other person softens and they're like, oh, I get it now. Yes. yes. It is a great uh, connecting to to acknowledge what is happening. And and sadly, in couples, what usually happens is one person said, you know, we're both getting defensive here, which is not the same thing. <laughs> it's not vulnerable. You know, that there it's really different when one person says, I'm getting defensive. And it's it really does. So it sounds like you caught that. It's like it shakes up the whole thing. It does. So is is part of the key to resolving these conflicts is well, what is the key? Well, you must have read our book because <laughs> the, the key is actually if I can stop talking about you and actually drop in and acknowledge what is happening over here and be vulnerable and real, 
even if you're still upset, I've taken the pressure off of me and I'm usually in a different place and I, I, uh, it shifts the dynamic. And if I could then get curious and interested in you and the impact without making myself wrong, but just witnessing you as the person that I care about, uh, that is those two ingredients, vulnerability and curiosity are magic in shifting a dynamic in a heartbeat, really. Okay. So you mentioned vulnerability. This is something that's hard for a lot of people. How do you be, what is vulnerability and how do you allow yourself to open up? So that, I mean, one, I mean, we, before Brene Brown ever made the word even more of a household word, we just used Webster's, which is to expose yourself to danger. Now, because in my, my view, vulnerability is the willingness to expose myself to danger, to say something that I know exposes me. And I know that is uncomfortable, but when I do it, it makes all the difference in the world. And the first thing is to just even become aware my, uh, myself of what I'm not saying. So I've had to do a lot of oh, checks. Lost the connection. Oh, crap. Oh, reconnected. We're <laughs> okay. Right, we're back. back. We're I'm back. just making note on this one. It's. I know. Good. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So the so the idea being that if I can look inward and start to notice what am I really thinking and feeling and what am I not saying here? That's the first thing. It's self awareness. I know there's pieces like when I tend to get angry first. And I have to really backtrack and go, wait a minute, anger is usually the sign that something else is happening here. So let me go inside. What am I not saying? What did, you know, what's actually happening? Um, And I think, you know, we work with business leaders too. And they're like, and I used to say this, why, why is that vulnerability thing a good thing, Susan? I'm not sure about that. But what I have discovered is when I drop in and share something vulnerable, it's about me sharing. I don't need you to make it okay, or it's kind of me connect, uh, showing up from the inside out. So there's a congruency inside of me that feels actually in a, in a way very, I have a position of strength, not necessarily power, but strength inside. And I relax in that. Oh, that's so cool because a lot of people consider vulnerability to be kind of a weakness. Yes. Right. But you're saying it's actually a superpower. Oh, it is, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, can we talk a little bit about another word that seems like it's a friends with vulnerability, which is intimacy? Mm-hmm. So well, I think, you know, I, I hear from a lot of people that at times in their life, they feel like they lack intimacy in relationships. And usually it's with like your primary person, you know, your partner, um, that intimacy ebbs and flows. And, and it seems like that should be, you know, the one thing that never changes with this one person that you care about the most in the world. So why does intimacy come and go and how do we hold on to it? So the 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 key to intimacy in our view is to think of it like we break it down a little different. We talk to it about intimacy. So the willingness, like we we will, even though we may love this other person, we are scared sometimes of seeing ourselves. And so the the challenge of it's actually usually not so much that we're afraid of the intimacy of seeing the other. We are usually much more afraid of seeing ourselves, and we will see ourselves as we become more and more intimate with the world around us, be it our primary partner or our kids or in any situation where we begin to take down those defenses and really show up. And I mean, we don't do that because we're afraid of rejection or abandonment, or we're going to be inundated, like somebody's going to make us change or laugh at us. And so so we have those layers of defense, even with our primary Mm -hmm. partner. And so it... um, it's easier to not go there because it's it we talk about you know some people go skydiving and do all these daredevil things actually looking inside and being willing to reveal is quite thrilling it can be in um in the sense of scary thrilling <laughs> to actually to admit this is what i'm wanting or this is what's really going on for me over here oh that's so interesting too because the the practicality of life makes it so that we're not constantly sitting down having deep discussions to, you know, expose our inner selves. We're just dealing with the stuff that happens every day. And the stuff that happens every day is often fraught with like little conflict, right? Yes. yes. And like so- you put the stuff in the dishwasher. You didn't unload the dishwasher. You forgot to put the stuff in the dryer. Now it stinks because it was in the, you know, laundry <laughs> yeah. too long. Exactly. Um, 
So, you know, maybe you can talk a little more about like, how do we get through the practical little life conflicts and what happens if we just brush them under the rug? Oh, it's, um, they will add up and eventually, um, in my experience, a lot of research on this as, as if I don't bring things up, they start to add up and create a wedge between me and Susan or me and anybody else, if I don't actually bring them forward. And it's so interesting because especially in couples, we are so busy living life and we don't have the, we don't take these moments to kind of just even check in and see how are we like what's working and what's not in our relationship. And so we talk about this in the book. We talk about a tool called the 555 because in business, we have meetings where we can hopefully clear the air or get clear on what's working, what's not. And so we encourage couples to take 15 minutes. You could do it a week to where one person just shares about how they're doing in the relationship for five minutes. You can apply this to any topic though. Five minutes and the other person just listens. And the second five minutes, the other person shares and the first person just listens. And the third five minutes is they dialogue. And you'd be surprised how much can start to come out in just five minutes of all those little bits that haven't gotten caught up on. Like, wait a minute, you didn't, this week I had to take, I had to feed the kids every week. You know, I'm frustrated with that. Every day. Every day, every week. Yeah. And we, we <laughs> encourage couples to pick particular topics. Like we use this regularly around money because we yeah. have very different beliefs and approaches to dealing with our finances. So if we don't do the five, 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 we can get really stuck. And for Chris Marie, she likes the space of that five minutes. For me, I like to know that we'll do a five, 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 then it will end. It's not a five, five, 45. It's a five, five, five. <laughs> You know? It's 15 minutes. So when couples say, we don't have enough time, it's like, you could take 15 yeah. minutes. So, Wow. Oh, I love that. It's such a good practical tool. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me think too about, so we're on the, the little details, but underlying that is that as we age and, and you know, go through life, our values evolve. And um, I always, like, I used to step back and be like, you know, there's certain relationship killers that I totally endorse. Like if you come together and you have a basic belief that is aligned, and then at one point, one of the people changes that belief until one day, years later, whatever, they're on totally different sides of a really important belief. I used to think like, oh, well, total, that's legit like break up. It's time to move on. And for example, like say two people meet and they don't want to have kids, but then over time, one of them wants to have kid, but the other one doesn't like, that's a tough thing to get through. Right. I don't know. I just wonder how, what do you think? Like these things take time to evolve. Like somebody may find God in a different way and they didn't when they first met or all these different, you know, political beliefs, whatever that can kind of change over time slowly. Right. So how do you how do you keep tabs on each other to even you know understand someone's path cuz too many times you wake up one day and you're like, "Whoa, she's <laughs> over here and she's over here and how did we get so far apart?" Yeah. Well, I mean, one, that's why we actually think, you know, addressing the little things will help with that. But, and, and because once they get bigger, like something significant, like, uh, like in our world, we always work together. And in the last couple of years, Chris Marie made a decision to stop doing, we still do work together, but she made a decision to do something totally different. Um, some of it was in her acting days because she'd get parts in a play and she'd be gone from our work for, for six or eight weeks doing a play. And for me, that brought up a lot of issues. Like, what's the priority here? Like, we work together. I don't go do this alone. So why is this happening? And, you know, we had to have some pretty hard conversations about, you know, what direction are we going? And do we have to do, do we do all of our business together? Do we do things separately? But, um, and, and, it was sort of a natural thing. And the key question to me around that is when I'm really threatened by something she's doing, I could get into an argument about it easily, or I could really get, so why is this so important to you? Like you're doing something very different than what I thought we were going to do together. And I could just get mad at it because I don't agree. Or I could ask. Nicole, Mm -hmm. are you there? Yep. I'm here. Okay, good. So, and then ask that question, like, 
So help me understand why this is so important to you, because right now it just seems threatening. And this is, I think this is being curious and interested in your partner who is very different, who's gotten to a place that's very different than you. And we just actually interviewed a couple that had that very, the kids piece where they thought, no kids. She got married and all of a sudden she wanted kids. They went through probably a like a a 10-year process around that whole thing. And she she had to keep looking at herself like, what is this about? Why is this so important for me? Do I need to leave the relationship to have kids? And he actually stayed clear. No, I don't want them, but I'm interested in what's going on for you. So he, you know, it's that dialogue and why is this so important and can I be curious and not think I have to change to make you happy? Because so often we think that's what has to happen. Did they end up having kids? They did not have kids. And there's a wonderful book that, because we were interviewing this person and they have a book that's out about it, but it hasn't been released yet, but it can. It's a, a beautiful example of exactly what you're talking about. It's a, a, You know, there's one other thing that, I tend to do, and I think a lot of women I know do, is we over-communicate. <laughs> um, can that be a bad thing? <laughs> I mean, I know my husband, I'm a very much an extrovert. He's very much an introvert, even like in our relationship, you know, the way he handles deep thinking and um, healing or, or anything is to kind of go inside. And I handle it by going outside, you know? Uh So how, can you talk a little bit about that? (laughs) Well, that's, I mean, I would say I tend to be more like your husband. I tend to need space and quiet and, and Susan is more of an extrovert processor. And I have gone so far as to say, I want you to leave the house for a weekend because I want to be here alone. (laughs) And she was willing to do it if I helped find a spot where she could hang out and she found something by the lake. And and I could take the dogs. Yeah. Like a spa. (laughs) Yeah. It was our friend's house who wasn't using it, but she had, she had all these, you know, toys, bikes and kayaks. And so it worked out well. And initially I thought, you know, I, I should say the same thing. But then when I actually sunk in and realized when I asked her why it was so important to her, and she said, you know, I like my nest. I really like my quiet time. And you're really loud. And if I didn't take on you're really loud, what does that even mean? Because I'd be like, I'm actually pretty quiet. So why are you telling? <laughs> but um, uh, if I just got, what is that about? And she said, well, you know, she'd tell me when you're in the house, I tend to get distracted. And I sort of, I don't do the things I want to do. And so I realized that really wasn't an issue for me. And I could go enjoy being at somebody else's place and give her some space. So it has worked. And even asking for the quiet, you know, if you're like, I'd like it just to be quiet for a little while, or I want to go take some quiet time or having some specific time where you know you can process. So working with different rhythms and energy is a huge part of couples' lives. And, and, you know, just the reverse, like Chris Marie likes to talk about a problem longer probably than I do. Yes. And that's how come the 555 was so important (laughs) to me. So, you know, it is sort of like having those conversations about what do what are your needs and where are they different and where are they the same and not, and not taking them so personally, being able to kind of hear your partner say something that, and not take it that it's about you, but to just be there and hear it. Yeah. Really good point. I mean, this also, a lot of our discussion makes me think of the word compromise Uh, and, uh, and with compromise, uh you know, often people think, well, that's where you meet in the middle and maybe we make it half quiet, you know, but like, how much does that word come into play and without literally having a mediator to help us understand what a good compromise or a fair compromise might be? Like, how do we, how do we get there? Okay. So, so compromise, we would say to, I hesitate to use that word because we really do believe this is not about compromise. This is about each showing up fully and not deciding to just do it halfway. So you're happy and you're happy, but to be willing to kind of engage at that edge, because usually that's where something totally different comes up. And even in the example we used, we came up with a whole different solution around how for her to have some space and for me to do something different. But it took not compromising, but really uh, getting into that conflict. Yeah. And being interested. We talk about this in the boundarying part of our work, our book about how to actually express what your want is. And then how are you going to take care of that rather than compromising and diminishing yourself? Yeah. Wow. I love it. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. We're, we're running down our time here. Um, 
one thing that's come to mind as you're probably sitting right next to each other, enjoying <laughs> this lovely podcast interview is, is there such a thing as too much time together? <laughs> <laughs> well, we do spend a lot of time together, but I am the type of person if, as long as we're clear, that's good. And I need more solo time because I'm a highly sensitive person. I need kind of quiet time to process and kind of gather myself. And uh, so for me, as I take some time away, but I really, I can tolerate a lot more contact than I ever could because I'm willing to bring myself forward and say, I like this, I don't like that. And here's, you know, and have that level of contact, uh, discussion conversation. Mm -hmm. I love it. Mm -hmm. You know, I just thought of something that would be cool. I'm kind of big into words and we've been using a lot of words in this, like big words that I'll create talking points. And I thought, you know, I wonder what word you would have both used to describe where you were when you met each other. So maybe Susan go first, like what's a word that comes to mind as to where you were in your life when you met? When we met, um, well, I, I mean, hmm. this is, I can go while oh, you, you think. Okay. This is Chris Murray. My word is I felt pretty darn desperate. Hmm. I looked good on the outside and was desperate on the inside. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Susan, do you have your word? Well, I, I felt very alive, but I was in a smaller fishbowl. I wanted a larger fishbowl. Mm -hmm. Okay. I like it. <laughs> All right. Well, what's your word today? Oh, oh. <laughs> did you see this I'm, coming? I'm going, no, I didn't. I didn't see it coming. <laughs> I'm going to the ocean now. So I've gone out of the fishbowl altogether. That's oh. what it feels like. I'm, we are, it's like the world is bigger. Yeah. I'm seeing that, you know, the world is bigger. I'm I'm heading for the ocean. And I would say I feel, feel uh, the word would be fulfilled and me. Like I am fully expressed as me, which is so satisfying and yummy. Oh, I love it. It is yummy. Well, let's uh, let's leave everyone with a yummy um, place that they can go to get the book. You have two books out. Yes. Yes. So, so why don't you share that? Okay. Our book, The Beauty of Conflict for Couples, is on Amazon, and you can download it there. It's also IndieBound and Barnes and Noble. And the um, our business book is The Beauty of Conflict: Harnessing Your Team's Competitive Advantage, and that's on our that's also on Amazon. So both of them. Yes. Oh, I love it. Because yeah. today we talked a lot about relationships, but obviously relationships include work relationships. And so this can transcend so much. Oh, it's yeah. Yes. It is. The work you do is so important. You know, um, I think everybody's going to get something and they've already probably gotten a nugget out of this episode, but I do like to leave um, and end every episode with a final nugget some piece of advice that you would give our listeners to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way? What would yours be? So this is Chris Marie. And I would say when you're in what feels like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this person is doing this. Some, it feels irreconcilable or you're at odds with somebody. Ask the question, okay, help me understand why this is so important to you and really get curious and listen to that other person to see, to, to get underneath what they're doing. Um, and mine would be, you know, you are not broken, nor is the person who you think opposite you is broken. And be curious and interested because there's always different perspectives and there is not just one reality. Oh, I love it. And curiosity is the common theme for both of your nuggets. Yes, and that's true. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And I think curiosity helps keep this life exciting. I so agree. thank you. You bet. Yes, thank you. This has been fun. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. We'll see you on the flip side. Okay. All right. How do you feel? How are you guys feeling? I'm feeling alive, as Susan would say. Like the world is bigger. And I'm feeling fulfilled. And like myself, like me, as Chris Marie would say. I love these women. I love the message they have to really share with this world. And I love that, you know, they came to their philosophy in two very different ways. But when you bring those two ways together, that's when the magic happens. And I think that's really the key to being a couple in any way, shape, or form, whether it's in business, as a friend, in a marriage, in a long-term partnership, 
Um, I hope you got something cool out of today's episode. I love hearing from you. When you have a chance, uh, shoot me a message, share the episode on social. I'll definitely see it if you tag me on Facebook or it usually hits my feed. Um, and when you have another chance, get over to iTunes and write me a review. My reviews are getting kind of old, but, uh, but I know you care. I know you're out there listening. I see the listens coming in every day, this podcast, despite my, um, sporadicness. I'm not the most consistent host in the world. This podcast is gaining a lot of traction. Uh, Next week, we'll have another incredible guest on the show, Sarah Canny, Run Far Girl. I'm sure you've heard of her if you're in the running world. And if you haven't, uh, just you wait. It's another good one. They're all good ones. Um, So that's it for today, guys. Just get out there and do the best you can because... We've only got one life. It's time to get on living. And on that note, you know what time it really is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.